0: Welcome, folks, to another edition of Smith & Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast. Download, subscribe, rate, review, and share as well. We've got another fantastic show coming for you this week, and we are going to dive right into it with a guy who uh, joins us regularly jonesy we see him regularly especially now that he's an analyst for Sportsnet. but he's been in this basketball community in this city and country for a long time around the toronto raptors as a former player beloved player let alone member of the coaching staff and front office as well uh we bring into the conversation to start the show alvin williams
1: al great to talk to you and uh we should uh, tell our uh tell our listeners that you're you got some. You got a new knee. Does that mean you're ready to come back? Sign a ten-day, start start yeah, knocking I'm, some heads.
2: Almost. I don't know. I don't know if the other legs can hold up, but the one knee might be <laughs> might be good to go. But everything else might might be. But all all the years of playing ball finally caught up to you, man. So I got. I had to get the knee replaced, partial replacement. So it wasn't that bad. So, but I'm feeling right. good.
0: Well, well, John, Al, well I'll, 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 I'll say this okay. quickly, too. Alvin Williams, I, I, we might even talked about this once, but Alvin Williams is the man that first explained to me in terms that I could actually understand. And, Jonesy, I know you've got, like, a, a kinesiology background or whatever, so you get all these technical terms and you throw them in the broadcast sometimes, and I get totally lost by those big words and everything else. But Al's the one that, like, at least 15 years ago, maybe longer, explained to me what microfracture surgery was, in words and yeah. terms that I could actually understand. So now, Al, it's good to know that all these years later, you're actually going to have at least one knee that works pretty well that's not just got, like, congealed blood in it that's, that's otherwise prevent you from going bone on bone.
2: Exactly, man. It's all it's all good now. It's funny now. You, you talk to a lot of doctors and surgeons, and you mentioned that you had the microfracture surgery. Everyone's turning up their nose like, oh, my God, that's, that's the worst surgery ever. And, <laughs> and at the time, it was something that everybody was promoting, so – i'm glad i'm past that point so so here we go on on to new things for for this knee hopefully i can continue to work out so i don't get this belly
1: well i no man you'll you'll never have that man we won't let you get that we won't ever let you get that <laughs> um while we're on the topic of replacements follow me here now eric and i were talking about this and and our producer austin when we before we got a chance to talk to you i got by my count four championship coaches four dudes that have rings are looking for work nick nurse mike budenholzer doc rivers frank vogel they're all looking for work and another guy monty williams who was in the finals just a few seasons ago he's looking for work too where has the impatience come from with coaches al i mean doc was three years in philly he's out nick all right five years as a head coach Budenholzers are two years removed from a t- like like where is the impatience coming from Al?
2: You know I, I don't I don't know where the impatience comes from I think that you know with the culture of sports and it's not just it's not just the person running the ship it's it's analytics it's the players driven league it's it's management having a different outlook. You know, you have teams where, in certain phases, you're looking for a championship team, or you're looking for a team that's going to compete, or you're looking for a team that's tanking that can get a draft pick. So you got different types of teams, different agendas, and where does that coach fall in? Where does that coach fall into place? But it's something where I've always thought, I've always thought it, and coaches should be evaluated year after year, just like players were. And when you finish, when you finish this season as a player you would get, you know, a pamphlet, a booklet of what you need to work on, your weaknesses, your strengths, what a summer looks like. And it feels like like how do you evaluate a a coach other than wins and losses? And how each year does a coach look are are they going to be held accountable for adjustments or changes going into that summer and how do you prepare for the next year? So, I think that's a piece as well. I think coaches are evaluated a little more different and and it's just something where it's unfortunate when you have coaches that can get player I mean coach of the year one year and then fired the following year. So it's just something you never can put your finger on and simply put it's the way of sports. So it's just I think that's just what it is right now. So you, it, there's no job that's safe and you will hear coaches say I know I'm going to get fired anyway, so I'm going to go out on my own terms. So I think that's a piece as well.
0: Al, I love talking to you because you've worked on, uh, you know, in so many different angles within the business. I mean, forget even just the broadcast side now, but going back to your years uh, as a player, then as a coach, and working in management as well, do you buy into the theory, as you were just talking a little bit about, I guess, of the voice either sustaining or, or or you know, filtering out and, 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 and sort of becoming different over the years? And the reason I, I bring that up is why can you have – or why is it that there are success stories of the synergy and the chemistry and, and the togetherness of, like, say, the Spurs and Greg Popovich or the Heat and Eric Spolstra, but then you've got other coaches like Jonesy just lined up, coach of the year, multi-time multi multi multi-time coach of the year winners, um, getting whacked all in the same offseason. you got two teams that, that were in the finals two years ago, two teams that I thought would be in the finals again this year, in Phoenix and Milwaukee, both whacking their head coaches. The Raptors themselves... Getting rid of two coach of the year winners in less than a decade in Dwayne Casey and Nick Nurse. Like, is it the players not hearing the message? Is it the coach's message not getting through? And like, make some sense of it for me.
2: I think it's. I think it's, it's a collection of all of that. I, I do believe a coach's voice will get tired, but I think also it's it's the personnel in that locker room. When you talk about a Popovich, you know, struggled prior to you know, Tim Duncan and, you know, had his had moments but, you know, they didn't they didn't reach that level of success. So Tim Duncan came and you got a David Robinson and you have the personnel of of players that's gonna buy in, but you have leadership in that locker room that can help the voice of a coach. When you don't have that leadership in that locker room and you can look at Golden State, right? You see the players that they have. They are some great characters. There's some leaders, there's some great players. So that makes Steve Kerr job – easier right so whenever a coach loses that or they don't have that they're always going to have struggles so i think that's a big part when you talk about a coach and you you can look at the locker rooms you can look at the dynamics you can look at players and you can see how they will approach day-to-day game by game and season by season and if it's not much of a change going upwards or they're not sustaining that level of you know consistency then a lot of times it's going to fall on the coach. And the one thing I've always hated is when you give a coach a title, like he's a player's coach, he's a a disciplinarian, he's that. And then as soon as that team – sorry, if you're a player's coach, what they used to say about Maurice Cheeks when he was a coach, uh, the players love him. They love him. He was a former player. But as soon as you lose that locker room, then your strength or what you were hired to be is gone. So you don't want to, have, as a coach, you don't want to have that title. I don't think. I think you should be able to be versatile enough to coach different styles, to manage different personalities, and have a relationship with the management. So it's very, it's very difficult. But I do believe coaches get too much credit for wins, and they get too much credit for losses as well. So I think the players, this is a players' league, and I think ultimately the players have to have the responsibility and be held accountable more than anything, because a coach can only do with so much.
1: Al, it's funny because, you know, you use that word accountable and, uh, you know, Nate McMillan tried to hold Trey Young accountable from all accounts in Atlanta and it didn't work. Um, Doc Rivers gets fired. Joel Embiid said he was shocked by it, had no idea it was coming. So now it looks like you have a star player who I'm not saying they make decisions, but they usually have an input or, or are aware. I mean, you know, they dance on the stage, but tell, somebody tells them what kind of music they're dancing to. Joel Embiid was totally mm-hmm. caught off guard by this. Like, what does that say about maybe Joel Embiid's place with the Sixers? Um, you know, there's the, are, are they going to try and play a different way? If James Harden didn't really get along with Doc Rivers, are they taking more of what James Harden wants because they want him back? It, it's just, it seems to me... A situation like Philadelphia engulfs all of the issues that we have just been talking about. And now they have, you know, two guys that you could build a championship around. And they were, you know, within a half a game. They, they were they were down three at half in game seven and, and got blown out. Now, is, is that on the coach? Is that on the players? You now need a coach. Where are they going? And I think it speaks to the bigger picture, Al.
2: Yeah, and I think, you know, the bigger picture, my time being here in Philadelphia and getting to witness, you know, the process and Joel Embiid named after the process, like having a chance to work, you know, with the organization for a little bit as a player development coach and as a scout, the things that I saw internally through that whole process was, you know, you, you, you had your assets, you you drafted, you know, some draft picks worked out, some didn't, but you have Joel Embiid, someone that's, a special player, MVP, this year's MVP, that you can build around. The one thing that I don't believe the organization took into account was a winning culture. And when you look at Joel Embiid, and I know for a fact he wants to be great. I know for a fact he loves playing basketball, and he he ne but he never had that piece that showed him how to win. He never had a veteran guy with the credibility around him that was going to perform every day and every out every night. Other than Jimmy Butler, which they really attracted, he never had that and I turn I look at it today he did not how he do he does not know how to win big games, big situations he don't know how to go to that press conference and speak on behalf you know after a loss he is not aware of a coach being about to be fired all the guys that have that experience and been through those those trials and tribulations and those situations, they know when the coach is on a hot seat. They know when the locker room is lost. They know when they need to perform. He hasn't been taught that, and I think that's a part that's a result of the 76ers organization still searching for what's next, and, and that's what it's been for the past 10 to 12 years. No matter if they've been in play-in, play-out, playoffs, draft picks, they just do not have that 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 foundation of a winning culture. And and I think that's what they're paying for as a result of that process still to the day. And I think ultimately organizations, you have to have that consistency. You have to have that communication and that understanding between ownership, management, and coaching. And then players have to fall in line. And you have to get the right players that's going to hold on to that or to help develop that culture.
0: So, Al, I... I'm listening to that, and I'm, I, I was I was actually just listening, uh, Jonesy. I know you listen all the time to to NBA Radio with with uh, Isola and Scal. Um, they were just talking earlier today about Portland and the Blazers right now having the third pick, and and by by some accounts or some reports, it sounds like Portland may be willing to deal that pick to bring in a player or multiple players to put around Damian Lillard to try and win it all and to make another run, et cetera, and then the, the, the other side of the theory saying, well, haven't they tried long enough? And not to put it on Damian, he's a hell of a player, but almost like do they owe him the favor of like, hey, you've been the loyal soldier, we haven't been able to get it done, maybe instead we move you, get some other picks, kind of hit the reset button, build around that third pick and other picks and other players that we acquire for you. And I'm I'm using them as a parallel to what you were just talking about with Philly. The process has been a decade, this whole trust the process. I understand the man's got an MVP on his mantle now, but hasn't been to a conference finals, hasn't been to an NBA finals, has had plenty of different stars or at least very good players around him, but hasn't been able to get it done. So which is the better path here, Al, whether it be for the organization or the player, when you're trying to stay with a certain guy, build with a certain player, build with a certain philosophy, and it ain't working? Yeah, I mean, that's
2: the tough part, Like the biggest – The biggest thing, I think,
0: when the Sixers,
2: I think the Sixers' best chance is when, you know, the Raptors won in 2019. And that team was just put together through trade. And I'm talking about the Sixers with a Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris and those guys coming over there. They didn't stick with that long enough. And, you know, free agency, of course, that played a part where Jimmy Butler winning that fifth year, and their sister's only willing to give him that fourth year, whatever the case may be. So that team, they didn't get a chance to keep that team together. That was going to be a very, very good team. Jimmy Butler, Tobias Harris, you know, they had Ben Simmons. They had, they had, they uh, had players. And then you had a J.J. Reddick. You had a pieces but didn't stick long. And that's the challenge. How long do you stick with something? How long will a player with their contracts and their influence, will they stay alone? Will they demand a trade? Will they even sit out and not play because they're unhappy? The dynamic of pro sports has changed very much so with the players having a lot of control and they're having the courage and understanding that I can sit out. This money is not going to be everything to me. It's not going to be the deciding factor of whether I play for this team or not. We've seen it over and over and, and lately. So it's challenging to build around a team when there's so many different variables that can change what you've been putting together. Portland's another situation. You have a great guy, a great player in Damian Lillard. But are those the right pieces? That's going to beat a Golden State franchise that's a dynasty. I mean, no matter really what you put around them, it's going to be tough to overcome that hill. So it's very difficult. I think ultimately you have to push your buttons and see what's there. And I don't think it's a right or wrong answer a lot of the time. It's very hard, and a lot of luck comes into it. But you have to know the value that you have. And when you have a player like a Damian Lillard, you you can keep him, but you definitely know you can get something for him or something around him. So they they still have a luxury if you're talking about the Portland Trailblazers.
1: Hmm. Al, I I want to talk about the the conference finals. Uh, We've reached that stage. And I look at Miami, and they had a disappointing year. But they, you know, as we record this, they are, you know, they they got a game already in the conference finals. And I look at, um, we always say you can't turn it on and turn it off. Man, it sure looks like they've been able to turn it on come playoff time between Jimmy and Kyle and, you know, the, all these undrafted basement barrel bargain guys that they find, like Struess and Martin and these guys that come out of nowhere. I mean, Riley's... Always been known for that. Spolster can coach. And, you know, contrary to the notion of turn it on and turn it off, they they look like they've turned it on right now.
2: Yeah, they definitely have. And they're a team that believes. And that's something that you have undrafted players just playing big-time minutes. Like, big-time minutes. A lot of times you put a lot of emphasis on experience and is the moment too big. These guys, they believe. And that's something I will say about today's athletes, especially the young athlete. Ignorance is bliss. They think they belong. We say they're entitled They feel these things. So when that moment comes, they, they think they're supposed to be there. And the Miami Heat players following Jimmy Butler's attitude, Jimmy Butler is putting it out there like, we're going to beat this team. They truly believe it. And I think when you see today's NBA, as we know, the parity, it's not that big of a difference between the top teams and teams that in the middle of the pack and all of those things. If you go out there and you play a style and you play consistent and you play together and you play smart basketball, you will give yourself a chance to win. And more importantly, defense. Today's NBA is so challenging and unique because you have so many players that have a skill set and they have, they have the ability to do so many different things on the floor. It's not just give it to your best player and let them go to work and make something happen. It's so many other people that get involved with the game. But there's so much. It's, it's less practice time. These, these teams don't practice as much during a regular season. So when you look at defensive mishaps and you look at offensive you know lapses, teams do not practice Jonesy and E like we used to practice two and three hours over a set, over situations. And when you see a Jason Tatum, who's an MVP candidate, not touch the ball and not shoot, or you see Joel Embiid not have situations where he hasn't touched the ball, it's something fundamentally wrong with the game when you start seeing superstars not having the ball in their hand and the critical moments in the postseason. So the teams is practicing and the teams is playing together and the teams that have that mindset and that chemistry, they're always going to give themselves a chance to win, even if they're undermanned, because the dynamic of sports, once again, pro sports, is changed drastically from preparation and then just strategizing how to take advantage of certain situations.
0: So, Al, so, uh, let me ask you this then. I, I was thinking Raptors in my brain, but... I could ask the same question as it applies to, to a lot of teams, you know, Chicago, Atlanta, many others as well. If you're looking at Miami, like, I, I know I believe, Jonesy, I, th- I think you said the same, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. Al, I believe that if the Raptors did get through the play, and I, I wasn't necessarily scared of Miami. I was thinking the Raptors could beat Miami. They've had success against the Heat this year. They match up fairly decently. They always seem to have dogfights, the Raptors and the Heat, in terms of similar styles of play at times and whatnot. Miami lost that playing game to Atlanta, and then was down in the fourth quarter against Chicago, and yet here they are now, potentially three wins away from from making it to the NBA Finals for the second time in, in the last couple of years, last few years. So when you're evaluating a team in the offseason, like the Raptors, and I'm thinking of their core, granted I know there's some free agency questions, etc., the core of Atlanta, the core of Chicago, how difficult is it then for management to say, we're so far off, or man... Maybe we're not. And the stars just didn't align for us the way they have for the Heat. Yeah,
2: you're not you're not far off. In today's NBA, you're not far off. And once again, it's the makeup of your team. It's a Jimmy Butler. It's a Kyle Lowry who's a Hall of Fame player that's going to a team, that's getting paid, is doing things that's willing to go off the come off the bench and not take away or distract from a team. How many teams do you, how many players do you know that's willing to do that, right? And not bring a distraction and have more he's more than capable of distracting we all know kyle we know how kyle could be and how he is and he's a competitor he could be pissed off and could ruin the dynamics of that team but that's about having a team that's about having communication that's about having a coach that's going to sell it that's about having an organization that's going to support the coach and their decisions and you have to fall in line you can't have a player that's going to go up and talk to the uh And say you know what I'm not I'm not happy with this coach. And then next thing you know, the coach is on a hot seat or he's getting fired. A coach has to be allowed to do his job, and the players have to go out there and do their jobs. And that's pretty much what it is. So if you're if you're a front office, you can look at your roster and you can look at your makeup and say we're not far off. Now, what's going to be the piece that's going to get us over the over the hill or over the hump? And I've been saying it all year: the Raptors, they had pretty much a better team than they had like on paper than they had the year prior with a, with a hurdle. And, you know, you got a big and you will hope the players will get better and stuff like that. And they're more versatile. What made, what made them fall short? And it wasn't just performance all the time. Sometimes it's internal. Sometimes it's things like that. So when the decision is made to get rid of the coach, there's something deeper than just the performance. There's something that's not clicking. And unfortunately, sometimes that's when the coach, they'll, they'll get the blame for that.
1: Al, I'm looking at um, the West, and, you know, again, I'm going to reference what I did before in terms of what we talk about. Can't turn it on, can't turn it off. The Lakers made a trade, and since the trade deadline, uh, you know, they have been one of the best teams, and now here they are, a seven-seed, a play-in team, uh, who had to go to overtime in the play-in game. Now they're in the conference finals. I mean, again... Um, you know, I, I look at what what is going on and the way the league is and the parody as you talk about it. Uh, the, the Lakers could come from nowhere to to be in the finals again. And I guess that would just add more to LeBron's legacy.
2: No, for sure. And once again, you know, a lot of things we talk about stats and we talk about records. And over time, the game has evolved and generations have changed and eras have changed. There's more possession. So, yeah, somebody's going to get more of an opportunity to score more points or we get more opportunities to average a triple-double. And, you know, it's a smaller game. So you have a Russell Westbrook that can get triple-doubles, a guard, and a season, all all of those things. So when you really look at it, today's game where you have a regular season when you don't know if your best player is going to be out for two weeks, two days, that's going to impact a team's record that's going to impact their placement during the regular season in the standards. And you look at, once again, this could be a championship where you have two teams that play in a championship that are in a play-in game. And that, that's, like, unheard of. So it's, very, it's a very unique season, and they have, although the talent is there, but i go back to it, guys. It's very hard to judge a team when it's so, they're so inconsistent with lineups. They don't have the practice time, and – you have a lot of teams now with a huge influx of undrafted players. So a lot of times we don't even know what guys can do until they get enough enough burn to show what they can do. Like Austin Reeves, like a guy, he has game. But, you know, last year, other than making a game-winning basket in, you know, against, I think, Utah last year, and you know, just being ready, he's a guy that the ball is in his hand, right? You got Vanderbilt who's coming here, and he's Vanderbilt or Vanderpool? Vanderbilt. Right for the the the, the, mm-hmm. the wing player that was traded, yeah. you know from uh, from I forgot Minnesota. where he came from
1: Minnesota. Minnesota. Yeah, so
2: he's a he's a big time addition. Then you got you got guys coming off the bench. You got Lonnie Walker coming off the bench, and you still have LeBron and AD, who's now they're healthy. So that team is not the same team that we saw before, and it's not just about the names. If you take a Russell Westbrook and say I'm gonna bring D'Angelo Russell two years ago, then you say you're crazy. But it's just not about the name anymore. you got to bring the game. And I think the NBA is starting to get away from actually who's the name on these rosters because these are people that can play, but they just have to get the opportunity and fit the system. So I think that's what we're seeing.
0: Al, last one for you here, I think, for, for both of us. And I'm going to completely switch gears away from the postseason. Again, I reference the fact that, that you've been there as a player, hence the reason I ask you this question, also knowing that you coach youth and you're a father as well. Al, What's your take on and, and what's your reaction to everything that's unfolded with Ja Morant over the last, well, less than a week now, and for the second time in the last couple of months, um, and, and what might ultimately be done by the league to, um, you know, to, to, to kind of more than just slap the wrist of Ja Morant, but, but to discipline him for this second incident, and, and just kind of your sense of where he's at uh, in his career, let alone his life, with the decisions perhaps that he's making right now and, and the situations that he's putting himself in? It's
2: it's disappointing, and it's so easy to get frustrated from being a former player, being a father, being somebody that, you know, pride himself himself from being disciplined and, you know, knowing the importance of these opportunities. And even when you finish playing, you know, you don't get these opportunities many times. So it's very disappointing, but then you try to find out, like, you dive a little deeper. Guy needs support. He needs help. Um, And I'm not even talking from a mental standpoint i'm talking about you know he has to be put in places where he has to gain some understanding of what this is all about and there's a lot of layers to it and i look at the nba and you look at the first time he was suspended and that's a lot of times checking the box saying this is what we're doing just to just to get this outcome and get past it and it's not that simple he's a 23 year old person young man that has something that he wants to show or you want to do things. And this is a different environment. Once again, guys, we, we didn't come up in a social media age. If we did, we a lot of us could have been in the same situation because these young kids and young men and women, they're addicted to that social media piece, that fame, that notoriety, and, and they don't know how important or how detrimental it could be to their lives and people around them, how it will impact them, and how you're part of the NBA, a multi-billion dollar or, uh, company, and you're 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 an employee. Right, And then you have partnerships outside of that. What does that look like? As a 23-year-old young person, you don't know the severity of what you're doing and and the impact of your decision-making. So it's very disappointing. And I think this is a great opportunity for him to learn before he has to learn the hard way. And the hard way could be death. It could be jail time. It could be people around you. We all know. And I listened to J.J. Reddick the other day. And he talked about, you know, he didn't break a law and, you know, and, and not to take you out of the conversation because you're very much part of the conversation. E, but Jonesy, you know, as black men, we don't get a lot of chances. We, we, right. we, the law is not always there to support and affect and impact us in a, in a positive way. So sometimes the law is not, we can't, that can't be our measuring stick of our actions, but That's, as a that, black
1: Al, man. Al, I'll jump in. That's very progressive thinking. Uh, from J.J. Reddick. But unfortunately, not everybody thinks like that.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's not the reality for us, right? Exactly. We're not going to get a, a chance. We have young people in our environments in our neighborhoods that live by the gun and die by the gun every single day. And when someone like a John Morant or somebody that has that influence to say, you know what? That's not the way. That's not the life. That That's very influential and that could be very impactful. And although you don't sign up for that that responsibility that's a true responsibility and it's a harsh reality that we will not have these opportunities and i'm not even talking about the money i'm talking about a place to get into a safer environment move your family out of a safer environment and play a sport or live it, or have a job that you love to do right so it's very important to understand the ramifications of everything that you're doing and i think it has to it has to it has to happen for him sooner than later because once again the game that he's playing the game that he's playing with his buddies and his life and everything that's something that that will be short lived whether the nba will make sure of it or life in itself will take sure of it make sure of it so he has to be very careful and hopefully he gets the help and hopefully he'll learn but um it's very frustrating
0: al appreciate the time as always love having you on and uh, continue to rest up that knee and we will speak to you again real soon that was alvin williams former toronto raptor of course and a longtime member of the raptor community and now with sportsnet uh as uh sportsnet television analyst and jonesy let's maybe just pick up on that before we step aside for a for a quick little pause here because I, I i know you and i were going to talk more about john morant but you had something to kind of to add to to the point that alvin was making
1: eric uh, e i i got to tell you that al makes a great point and you know john morant is in the place where he is so is LeBron James, so is Anthony Davis, so so are so many other athletes uh, in that position where they have wealth, uh, notoriety, uh, you know the the fame, um, you know the role model being cast upon them because of people that went before them, and and I get I get my back up a little bit when people say you know back in the day oh well michael jordan said you know he he sold out michael jordan said republicans buy sneakers too and and for all the revisionist history people let's not get it twisted michael was at the forefront of the breakthrough for athletes in terms of partnerships and money and wealth and he just didn't want to mess it up and because he didn't and set the set the road straight paved the way you've got people like John Morant having these opportunities. So he can't abuse that. He he has to make better decisions and whether he likes it or not, be a role model. And as Alvin said, help set people straight and present them with, uh, guide them towards the right choices. So, you know, Michael wasn't just saying that to, to you know, Republicans buy sneakers. He was protecting things. And what he did basically was protect everything going forward for many athletes, particularly black athletes, to have what they have now. So I, I just think Al's points are, are really really well taken.
0: You know, I was listening to, and I'm sure you saw it as well, and a lot of our audience probably saw it and heard it as well. The comments that um, Kenny and Charles and Shaq were making on the uh, on on NBA on TNT the other night with with Ernie Johnson and and. Jonesy, I think the other thing too is just the accountability factor too. Like, and and you didn't say this, I didn't say this, but those out there that are trying to make excuses for John Morant, yeah, it might not be entirely on him, but in my opinion, at least, it's 99% on him. It's not about blaming the friends. It's not about blaming the people he's hanging out with. It's not about it's. You are making conscious decisions. You yourself need to be better, and you yourself need to decide who you want to be and what you want your life to be, let alone your legacy and your career and everything else. That's on John Morant. And yes, you can surround him with hopefully people that are going to help assist him to make more mature and responsible choices and whatnot. But at the end, at the end of the day, he is his own man and he has to take onus and responsibility for what he's done and the position he's put himself in. And the other thing too, I'll say if, 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 and if I'm getting on a soapbox, I apologize. It's much different in Canada. We got our own issues. We we certainly have our own problems too. But when it comes to gun control and regulations and everything else in Canada, it's different than in the US. The people that are saying, "Well, has he actually done anything illegal?" He's he's, you know, he's He's owning a registered he's, – he's showing a registered gun in a, in, a, in a state where you can actually have a, a weapon. And so he hasn't, no, it's not about what's illegal. It's about what's right and wrong. And the company, as Alvin said, the organization, the billion-dollar company and organization that you represent, I guarantee, Jonesy, if you or I were to jump on Instagram Live and pull out a handgun and start flashing it while we're listening to tunes in our car with our friends, I'm going to guess we ain't working for Sportsnet or for the Fan 590 any longer. You have, you have choices that you make, and there are repercussions and, and, and whatnot for the choices that you make as well. So that's your responsibility.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well said, E.
0: All right. Let's step aside for a quick little pause. We'll continue with more Smith & Jones in a moment. Welcome back to Smith & Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you again. Thanks to Alvin Williams for joining us to kick off the show this week. We have fresh content every Thursday on Sportsnet 590, The Fan, and on your favorite podcast platform, Google, Apple, Spotify, or otherwise. Make sure you are subscribed and then download, subscribe, rate, review, share as well. Now, we're going to continue with this already solid show with a guest that I'm really excited to talk to because both Jones and I have known this man for a long time but we've never really had a chance to speak to him on the air on the record because, well, it was a conflict of interest, but eh, now it's maybe not. Um, And he's got a wealth of knowledge as well. Let's bring into the conversation, Jonesy, former Toronto Raptors, head athletic trainer and therapist, former Memphis Grizzlies head athletic trainer and therapist as well, three decades in the NBA as a trainer and therapist, Scott McCullough. Scott, it's great to be able to chat with you um, and, and and tend to your knowledge and your expertise. And I think the first thing that comes to mind, I, I I got to imagine that this would be the same for a lot of NBA fans and sports fans in general. Uh, but certainly when it comes to basketball, the term load management has come up quite a bit over the last season, let alone <laughs> the last few seasons. And arguably, arguably, it started with the Toronto Raptors and with Kawhi Leonard and with the training staff that you were certainly a part of. Scott, when I say those two words together, what is your definition of load management and perhaps how that definition maybe has been misused or misconstrued or misinformed by so many over the last X number of years?
3: Well, Eric, that's uh, quite interesting in the fact that I'm being down here in Chicago at the uh, NBA team meetings where I was just in a part of the conference was all the studies that they've done on load management, you know, over the last 10 years. And one of the things about load management, I think, is there's a misconception of what it actually is. Uh, when people normally look at load management, they say, or think about missing gains. Whereas when we look at load management, we're looking at a variety of aspects, They're injury history, you know, what's the amount of load that we're putting on the tissues, let alone soft tissues or uh, joints themselves. And then trying to increase the amount of load in quotations to uh, sustain the amount of uh, exercise and uh, in- uh, decrease injury responses from uh, from the amount of load again that we're putting on those those tissues to increase it to the point where they can sustain
1: it, and we can put the athlete in the best position to succeed. So, Scotty, you you talk about like the studies that have been done. Um, there's a there's a delicate balance around that. I, I think back to the Raptors championship season, and Kawhi Leonard, who is probably the, the you know the, the the poster boy, the guy that everybody thinks of when they hear load management. Between all of you on the Raptors medical staff, and and, and you're the guy, <laughs> you're you're one of the guys on the front lines. He's able to play 24 games over the course of the postseason and not miss one. And I watched this year. He was the best player on the floor uh, in the first couple of games with the Clippers and the Suns. And then he couldn't play again for for the the, the rest of the series. Like, what goes into managing that, Scott? So I guess my question is, how did you guys get him to do it for 24? And yet, in L.A., they weren't able to get him to do it for more than two in a row. I mean, there are different circumstances, but there, there's got to be something else going on. Well, the thing was when
3: you know when, when you look at any athlete you know in the preseason we start looking at again their injury history, and you're putting together a long term plan for them, and it's going to go week to week and it's when you're doing any therapy or strengthening conditioning programs, it's like painting a picture it's going to change as things occur especially over you know an 82 game schedule and then going into the playoffs and you always it's looking at what your goals are and that year our goal was to get to the championship so when we were putting together not just his but everybody's uh programs is how do we again increase the amount of load and energy that they're expending over the course of a season to prepare them for a long playoff run it's not like we were getting ready to just play 82 and you know get a a draft lottery we had goals that were lofty and we wanted to put together plans that were able to get us there again put the players in the most uh, optimal position to succeed to give us the best chance to win and that was was a full team effort of you know the player the coaches the medical staff the management the agents. like everybody has to all be on the same page because you can put a plan together and if the athlete doesn't adhere to it or the management or the coaches don't adhere to it, it's not going to work. It's a full team effort, and that's what you know the team was able to do.
0: So Scott, speaking of that full team effort then, and and I say this respectfully to you, as you just said, it's a collaborative effort, but maybe what I'm about to ask is more on the coaches or the upper management and not necessarily the therapist and 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 the training staff. That said, I'm going to ask the question anyways. You're trying to manage the health of the players, the fitness of the players, uh, and, and how sustainable a long season, let alone a long playoff run, can be. But how do you balance that chicken or egg of we got to get to the playoffs, though, and we might need you to play more in order to get to said playoffs or to at the very least have a better seed in the playoffs if we know we're going to be one of those playoff teams. And I'll use the example right now. We were talking about this earlier in the show with Alvin Williams. The Miami Heat lost the play-in game. To the Atlanta Hawks. They were down in the fourth quarter to the Chicago Bulls in the second playing game. And yet here they are, a couple of wins away from maybe being in the NBA Finals. Jimmy Butler himself, I'm paraphrasing here, Scotty, said after the All Star break, Well, now I'll start paying attention. Now's when the games really count. Mm-hmm. Well, they still nearly, narrowly, narrowly escaped missing the postseason but yet they look like they are on another level now because they're quote-unquote healthy and they're motivated and they're ready, and Kyle Lowry looks at another level. But they were that close to not even being here, Scotty, so how do you balance that over the course of a season knowing, man, we got to get there, though, and we might need you to get there?
3: Uh, Well, again, that's a fine line, and that comes down to you know, a collaborative effort between the medical staff, the coaches, the management, the players, everybody all has to buy in. And there might have been times where, you know, they're going to need that player and you'd already planned to maybe, you know, not play that night. And you have to have to do it. And again, that's a communication and the plan consistently changes. And again, when, when you work together, it, sometimes it works and sometimes sometimes it doesn't. And it's, uh, you know, you're only making the, the best educated uh, assumptions and guesses and plans that, that you can make as a team. And sometimes it just doesn't work out. And they're finding that, like I said, they barely made it in, and, but their, their plan has come together and now they're, they're making their run.
1: Scotty it's been 28 years for you uh, as as a <laughs> as a therapist in the uh, head athletic therapist in in the NBA um you must have seen this thing change the the evolution from a time when like Gene Hackman and Hoosiers the coach would probably look at you as the the trainer and say patch him up get him in there and there are on some nights when you have to go to a head coach and go hey man you're start he's not going tonight um uh, <laughs> T- take me through that that evolution um, with the advancement of sports science over, you know, the the majority of your career as a, as an NBA trainer.
3: Well, when I first came into the the NBA, there was you know two athletic therapists. Uh, the head athletic therapist did the travel and was the head athletic therapist, and the assistant athletic therapist was the equipment manager and assistant athletic therapist. And then maybe some teams had a strength coach and they didn't. So, you know, the way it has evolved is you've got sports medicine that has continually evolved, and your staff has gotten bigger because now you've looked at, you know, what is best for our athletes. And when I first became the head athletic therapist, I went to our management team and said, we need to hire a travel coordinator because I can't take the, as much time as it takes away from taking care of the players to do the buses, do the planes, do the hotels, and everything else. So we were one of the first teams to actually hire a a travel coordinator so that way I could focus on the health and welfare of the athletes and then again as sports medicine changes like we laugh about this sometimes that you know what we were doing 20 years ago we wouldn't even think about doing now and that's consistently changing even the things I'm learning at, down here at the conference it's like it's continually moving forward and as we start using different technologies you know, and everything else. So we're, we're looking at statistics, we're looking at movement patterns, we're looking at corrective exercises rather than, you know, is the, you know, can they stand and walk? Oh, well, you can walk, you can play. Now it's okay, what's the most important thing about getting you back on the floor and put you in the best position to succeed while not creating, you know, an increase of a specific injury or, you know, the body changing function and we create an injury or an issue somewhere else. So again, you know, again, when we came in, when I first came to the league, and Jonesy and Eric, you've been around this league the whole a long time. It was trying to play 82. That was always the goal. But now it's there's you know a bigger picture of trying to get to the promised land of winning an NBA championship.
0: Scott, how much have the players changed in your three decades as well in terms of the way that they have embraced the messages and the technology and the information and the research that you're speaking of, but also embraced, and I've got to assume a major component of this, which I need to focus more on myself if I ever want to not be a skinny fat man, the nutrition (laughs) aspect and the consistency of what you eat, let alone the way you work out and the way you take care of your body.
3: I think it's consistent and continual education. You know, we're all sitting down and meeting with our players at the at the start of the season and looking over their goals, going through all their functional testing, you know, everything like that, and saying this is what we want to do to get you to this point, and this is how we're going to do it. You know, and you know, again, when I came into the NBA, there was you know the off season where the guys disappeared for the summer and you didn't see them until training camp now it's consistent you know you sit again with them at the end of the year put a plan together for them and whether it's with your staff or if they have their people uh, that they work with in the summertime you're in constant communication with them and again continually on the same page we're traveling around to see our players all the time or having you know camps where you know a couple guys come in and we can work them out and measure them you know and do things like that in the off season so we can continue with the plan it's a 12 month a year process it's not just when they come in in september till they leave in april may june uh, it's again it's continual education with them and working towards a, an ultimate goal and it's trust and they have to trust you and they have to respect you and they have to understand why they're doing it if you just say you're doing this because of this Some of them may, the young guys may buy into it because they feel like they have to. But the veterans are like, why am I doing that? You know, I've done it this way my whole career. We're like, well, our goal is to extend your career. And with extending your
1: career, give you more success. More success usually means more dollar signs. Yeah. Scotty, Scotty, how much at times do you feel like a parent where you're doing what's good for them and sometimes they don't like it? (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, and and that and, that, and I mean, that's
1: and that's just not that's just not the player, Scotty. That's management. That's like uh, front office people. That, that you know. Hey, how come our guy isn't playing? Like sometimes you have to be the guy that is, you know, uh, the deliverer of bad news. And it's funny because you know when we see you, when when you're when you're, um, how do I put this? It's good when you're not busy. But there's always a level of um, kind of uh, maintenance that you're doing, too. So, I mean, even you're in your own job, you can go from, well, it's okay right now. It's manageable to a guy gets hurt. And, you know, I, we see the look on your face, Scotty, when you have to run out on the floor because a guy's mm-hmm. down. The, the bubble over your head says, okay, I'm not sure what's happening when I get here. Yeah. And, it, you know, that, that's tough.
3: It it is, and then again, that's a part of the part of the job. And you know, everybody again, if people trust you, respect you, they may not be happy with the information you're giving them, but you're giving them from an area of care. You know, and this is what I'm telling a player: it's because I care about you. I want you to have a long career, but I also want you to be able to play with your kids when you're 45 years old. And when you're taking the information to the coaches and to management, again, they might not like it, but this is. My best educated, a lot of times, is educated guesses. And it's not just coming from me. It's coming from, you know, the whole medical team, from doctors to the specialists, you know. And we're trying to give them information. of what's best player. And we've always said this. What is best for the player is best for the team. We put the player in the best position to succeed. That helps the team succeed. And it might be tomorrow. It might be next week. It might be in two weeks. But we're trying to make sure that they're in a position to succeed. And the one thing I've always been taught by you know, coaches is, you know, never fight with a player. If a player tells you he can't play, there's one of two reasons. is He really can't play from a physical standpoint or he really can't play from a mental standpoint. And then that's another avenue that you have to go down that's changed in pro sports is mental health. You know, the player might, and they say, oh, they're, you know, they're soft. At it. No, there might be other situations or issues going on that you have to take a look at to into and assess
0: scotty I'm, I'm glad you bring up the mental health and i'll tell you what i'm going to make sure that we bring you back on the show to talk about that alone because i think we could do 10 20 30 minutes on that one topic alone um i do want to ask you this though not to brush that topic aside, but I know we're kind of up against the clock timing-wise and whatnot. And one of the things, I, we've we've mentioned so many times in the show, Jonesy, over the years, I don't know why it's come up in conversation, but the Garbo busted leg in Boston or T.J. Ford and the, the scary neck injury and, and, and the situation that happened with him with Atlanta and whatnot. You've seen, unfortunately, a lot of things in your career where much of what we've discussed the last 10-15 minutes is, prepping players for games the maintenance at practices at on off days and getting set for the games but the way that you are thrust into action sometimes in what seem to be the most dire situations in game for players that are facing serious serious life altering um injuries in the midst of the 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 battle itself does one stand out more so for you one moment or or one injury or or if you can just kind of again speak to that that being thrust into action and having to respond like an ER doctor on the floor in front of 20,000 people with the lights bright and and, and shining right on you
3: well there's there's two parts to that one is you know since I've been in school we were you know trained to do these things that was part of our schooling emergency procedures uh, every year, prior to training camp, we meet as a medical team. Or you know, the NBA mandates it. I know the NHL mandates it, but we get together with our EMS, with the with the ambulance, our doctors, the whole medical staff, and we go through these types of scenarios. We go through cardiac scenarios. We go through fractures. We go through spinals. You know, and each person will be thrust into that position on the floor, so it's not foreign to them. Um, And then, you know, experience, like the first time I went through a spinal, you know, I learned from that experience. You know, first time I had a full concussion where an athlete was completely unconscious, you learn from those. Um, And for being, you know, running out on the floor with 20,000 people, my concern and my only care is that athlete at that time. I don't even think about what's going on around me. I just know that I've got to take care of this athlete. I know I've got the other staff members there because we've run through these scenarios I know the security is taking care of getting the EMS out there. I know the doctors are there. It's about again trust, knowing who's there to help. And our goal, number one goal, is the health and welfare of this athlete, and deal with them, you know, as it occurs.
0: Scotty, appreciate the time, man. As uh, as always, but uh, we're gonna do this again uh, for sure. Uh, loved loved having you on.
3: Yeah, no, gentlemen, I really appreciate everything and enjoyed uh, talking with you.
0: Fantastic conversation with Scott McCullough. Again, former Toronto Raptor and former Memphis Grizzly, head athletic trainer and therapist, nearly 30 years in the league, and we appreciate being able to tap into his insight and his expertise. We're going to bring him back on the show because, as I said, folks, I certainly didn't want to brush aside the – the topic that Scott himself brought up uh, regarding mental health. I think that's something that we could absolutely dive more into. I just knew that we were up against the clock in terms of timing. And I wanted to ask that question about some of the injuries and whatnot that Scott has seen. And that's something that we can even dive more into as well. Cause you know, he brings up the training that he has going, you know, respectfully going back to his years ago in school and, we forget sometimes, even me working in the league and seeing it firsthand, you forget that these guys aren't just, and I put the air quotes on that, just therapists. They are the first line of defense. They are the, the the folks that are first on the floor. They are the doctors. As I said, they are the ER doctors. They are on the battlefields with these players, and they are the first people to be on the scene if somebody is, is, is suffering from a concussion or concussion symptoms or they're cut or they've got a broken leg, or a a busted arm, or anything at all. It's those trainers that are out there. And I think that talking to Scott about some of the stuff he has seen over the course of 30-plus years would be a very interesting and engaging conversation, Jonesy, let alone as he brought up the mental health, because I think that's something that we need to focus more on going forward in pro sports, especially when we talk about talk radio and sports talk radio, let alone just in our everyday lives. Checking in on people and taking mental health seriously and not just brushing it aside, we don't know what people are going through in their respective individual lives. And we can't just assume that because they make X amount of money or X amount of millions of dollars that they should just be able to tough it up and and tough it out and be able to play or continue on or whatever else. Again, maybe I'm at the... risk of pulling out the soapbox here. So I'll leave that alone, Jonesy. We'll step aside now for this week. But we will be back with fresh content next Thursday. And again, we continue with Smith & Jones right up until the end of the NBA Finals, the NBA Draft, and the first uh, few days at least of NBA free agency as well. Subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast. Download, subscribe, rate, and review. And we will talk to you again next week. Have a good one, folks.